It finally happened. What happened, Sean? Jordan Spieth has won again. He's a big, 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 big win for Jordan Spieth this week. The golden child has risen, inciting a ton of Easter jokes. None of them are good, but he's back. It happened. He wins the Texas Open by two. It it was it was the epitome of like close, but not super close. Mm. Just close enough to freak you out a little bit when he hits like he overcooks this hook on 18. Right. But not close enough that you actually thought he was ever going to lose. Yeah. I mean, once he made the birdie that he made on 17 yesterday, um, I guess today, it's late enough now, Sunday night, that it feels like a whole lifetime ago. Uh, but once he, he poured in that four footer for birdie on 17, it truly felt like it was over. There were still, yeah, a couple formalities to, to put the cherry on top. But, yeah, it's funny. The drama of the win itself didn't really... It didn't happen. There wasn't a whole lot of electricity at the Valero Texas Open. I'm not sure that there really ever is. Shout well, out to the people at Valero. But <laughs> I think it's because of, like, think about who was chasing him. It was Charlie Hoffman who kind of owns this event. Yeah. And then Matt Wallace, who we really haven't heard much from in a long time. He's well, played, yeah. Like, Matt Wallace didn't put up much of a fight on Sunday either, but yeah. But like, who is Spieth fighting? The way he always is, he's always like fighting himself. Yeah. That's what we kind of saw on Sunday. And he looked great. He made one bogey in the final 32 holes of this tournament. Wow. One bogey in the final 32 holes, 13 birdies in that stretch. He was asked about afterwards, like, how did it feel? Like, did he feel like he was doing really well? I was like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I felt like I made it look easy. I felt like I was playing in 2017 when I was winning tournaments. Uh, He looked really good. He looked good with the driver on Sunday. That's always the big bugaboo. That might not be a course where you can get into a ton of trouble Mm -hmm. with your tee shots, but he didn't do it. No. Like, Like, this is a guy who is... A bad driver of the golf ball. He didn't. And and to that point, normally, that's the thing about Jordan Spieth. He doesn't make anything look easy. He is well aware of that fact. He acknowledges it. But I think after this win, someone sort of reflexively asked him about it, about, you know, making it look difficult. And he was kind of like, well, uh, this one probably was kind of easy, you yeah. know, compared to all my other wins. This one probably was easier. And I think that that's actually true. If you look at the actual shots and you take the yeah, a lot know, of wedges. Pre, if you take the pre-shot chatter out of it, because that is <laughs> some of uh, where that comes from. I think is just the way he and Michael Greller go back and forth between, you know, every single iron shot it makes it seem difficult. But you know, he really played a pretty smooth finale today. I feel like he's hitting it close a lot. Mm-hmm. He's hitting a lot of wedges close. Yeah. Like you were actually on the phone at one point describing how he was playing. I think it was uh, the seventeenth hole, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Michael Bamberger called up, and uh, he was he wanted a speeth update, and then sure enough, hits it to four feet. There he was. Charlie Hoffman hit it to twenty feet, and then Spieth hit it to three or four. So feet. he he is dialed. And uh, my next question is, did he win too early? <laughs> like, I couldn't kick that feeling right. We just saw Joel Damon win last week. These things are, are barely comparable, but, <laughs> but allow me anyway. Joel Damon wins the Dominican Republic and uh, the CPR you know, championship, the CPR club championship and, you know, drinks for the next 48 hours. 
gets his full celebration in for his first PGA Tour victory, comes out, uh, actually rallied to make the cut. He finished, you know, 66th or something like that in the end. But there's a hangover effect to winning the previous week um, that doesn't seem to exist if you contend the previous week. And that might not be true for Tiger Woods when he's in his prime winning all the time or even Jordan Spieth when he's Mm -hmm. winning all the time. But in this case, there's been such an emotional investment from Jordan Spieth to getting back to the top of the mountaintop that you wonder if he can keep that up well, for another week or if there's some sort of like letdown, I don't sigh of there, relief, something like that. I don't think there's a letdown. Um, I think mainly because this was the most obvious next natural step in his entire progression, especially this year. Every time we have seen him play this year, it's it's largely been the same way. Like when he contended in Phoenix, he contended at Pebble, he was really, really good with his irons. And when he contended is when he was putting well. And also when his driver wasn't the worst on the planet. And so that is what he did this week. He was one of the best ball strikers, one of the best putters, and he wasn't dreadful with his driver. So it, it this victory felt like a summation of literally everything mm-hmm. he's done this year. And I think it would take a lot for him to not play like that at Augusta. Like he would have to be weirdly bad. And he hasn't been weirdly bad since 2021 started. Yeah, I mean, the crazy thing, the case for Jordan Spieth is that he has done this still without his A game. And yeah, by that, I don't necessarily <laughs> mean like the numbers, like where he ranks, you know, in terms of strokes gained approach or anything like that. But the fact that he is still hitting a bunch of shots that are not hitting the center of the club face or he's <laughs> dumping wedge shots into the into bunkers. Like, I think that, I think that the numbers then get corrected by, as you were saying, the fact that he hit a bunch of wedges to two feet this week. Um, But he's definitely contending while still being like on the verge of searching for it. Yeah. I guess my 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 real concern is this week, what it means for him. What does that mean for him this week? Is that like the Valero Texas open, he made six bogeys, uh, Augusta, I think you can very much expect to make six mm-hmm. to, to ten bogeys. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I think that part of his game that you're talking about, that errantness that comes in every once in a while, those become doubles out there. Yeah. And there's there's this, a good stat that I really like is like if you make, um, I, I believe it's more than one double bogey. Mm-hmm. Like only in the past like forty years, I think I think Craig Stadler's the only champion to make more than one double bogey during the week. Interesting. And so they always say that like double bogeys exist on every single hole at Augusta. It's absolutely true. And avoiding them obviously helps you play well. But Spieth, I believe, had three double bogeys or worse in 2016, nearly one. But it was the third one that killed him. It was the quad he yep. made in Ray's Creek. And so that part of Spieth's game is not dead. <laughs> he may have won this week. He may have avoided double bogeys. But the the course he played at is not Augusta National and double bogey he will make a double bogey this week and if That's he doesn't well, shit, he's gonna it's win. what's fun about Augusta National it's one of the the fun things it's like it's why we like watching some of these courses and we've actually seen some of these uh all or nothing courses where you can start to count by twos um yeah. Augusta National being one of them TPC Sawgrass in a very different way mm-hmm. concession which Riff. we saw for the first time this year 
became that way. Um, I think and R- Riviera is Riviera way. is one where yeah you kind of count by like one and a half. So I would say where yeah. it's like that place can just bogey you to death uh, once you you know miss <laughs> by a little bit. So definitely punishment sounds like it's it's going to be uh, more the theme of this week than last week, especially Sean with. Some of the reports we're hearing from the course, do we buy them? Is this happen every major week where no. we say, oh, it's going to be difficult, and then it ends up softening up, this is scores the, are low? Yeah. So when well, we watched the Augusta National Women's Amateur this week, and the winner, the, the, the tying score to get into a playoff was one over, and the course just looked firm. Like, if you were going to get close you had to run it up to the hole. And I know that women play at different ball speeds and they play sometimes at different trajectories into these these greens that we've mm-hmm. seen only men play at in the history of the game. But the ball was bouncing on these greens. Mm. And Lee Westwood a couple of weeks ago talked about how the ball was bouncing off of the Augusta greens. And Spieth was saying that the firmness it sounds like at Augusta is it's ramped up. Mm-hmm. It was the most obvious like correction. I don't think it's an overcorrection, but a correction from the September or the November Masters when it was chilly and, and damp and wet and DJ just hit it close and these greens were very receptive. So I don't think this is abnormal, but it does it just does sound like it's a little firmer than normal. Yeah. We did there's a couple different sides to this and and I know we'll get to uh, our chat with Bryson a little bit later, but one of the things that stood out because, you know, the first thing I think of when I hear firm and fast is, oh, the greens are going to play tricky. It's going to be tricky around the greens. Mm-hmm. Bryson's first reaction was Fairways. you're going to see some really long drives this week. You're going to really see the ball going a long way. Well, just from a firmness perspective, if it stays this way, I mean, the greens were, were firm. The green surfaces were very smooth and, and fast already. I mean, there were some holes that balls couldn't stay in certain areas. So, I mean, the greens are already firm and fast. Um, fairways are firm and fast with balls rolling out like crazy. And uh, you're going to see some long drives this week for sure. Um, I mean, I still have memories in the fall from Tiger laid up on 13 from maybe 217 yards or something like that. John Rahm laid up on 15 from 225, 230 yards. Like there were a couple of those chilly, soft mornings where the ball just wasn't really flying. I think this week, yes, we're going to have some chilly starts to the mornings, but then it's going to get yes. 70s, you know, up 80s. to 80 degrees. Um, like, I bet you Patrick Reed's longest drive this week is on 10. Patrick, he's going to be Patrick, hitting that sling, and it could be with a three-wood. Slinging low three-wood, yeah. if anything, that's going to run forever down that hill. And it will... It will go almost as far as Bryson's will, but Bryson's will be all carry. I mean, we saw the, the drive chip and putt contestants today. They were getting some yeah. burn and run. Yeah. So it sounds like the conditions are firm and fast. And Bryson intimated with us that on number two, <laughs> it's going to go a long way. He said he was playing with Bubba Watson today. He played all 18 holes on Sunday afternoon and he was Condi Rice with Condoleezza Rice and another member. And it really, he, he's mentioned that he's going to be taking different lines off the tee, which he wouldn't tell us which ones, which annoyed me. But I think it tells you something that he's playing with the guy, the originator of taking new lines mm. off the tee. He's playing with Bubba Watson, the guy who stripped the place down. Interesting. With, with driver wedge before. The hole that's going to be the most different 
I mean, they're all going to be a little different because it's all firmer and faster. For me, number two, you know, I get a driver and it's going to roll down that hill quite a bit, whereas before it would just hit and stick on that side slope. Um, so if I catch one and I catch it good and it draws perfectly and goes down the hill, you know, I could could foreseeably have you know less than a wedge in about a wedge or something like that into that hole. Which That's is crazy to think about. Is that accurate? Is this one of these things that he gets carried away in saying, or is that actually true? I think it's. I think he's carried away. Okay. <laughs> it's probably not true. I think it's like a 560 yard hole. Yeah. And so you'd be talking about. 460 yard drive i think he could hit a 400 yard drive on that hole yeah not 460 though no because you end up you actually end up having to draw it a ton in order to stay in the fairway bubba watson has gone on the the mega deep route got mm-hmm. a lot of kick down that hill but run out of fairway and you end up going into the rough yeah. and you have 150 yards from the rough it's probably still a wedge for some of them but he's probably a little carried away that being said he played 18 holes out there. He's one of the first people to kind of give us the report on the scene from Augusta National, and he says it's firm and fast, so I think we have to kind of take him at his word. One thing that was interesting um, about Bryson, so every player has these badges, right? You get your little player badge. Bryson had his on his hat today. And even though he checked in, I believe, first thing this morning, he was only player number 22, which means that 21 players were here before Bryson was. So That's a lot. It feels like a lot. Guys are here. Guys have been here. They're posting up. Yep. They won't show up before Sunday on non-major weeks, but a major week, things get ramped up. Um, one one quick thought back to Spieth mm-hmm. is, like, I have to be a little bit of a wet blanket. You, I don't, you're I don't, playing both sides of the fence here. Always with with speed because he is <laughs> truly one of the most entertaining players that modern game has seen. But he's also one of the most infuriating players, and I think his game can be basic at times. Mm. So I will hog both sides of the fence, and I don't have the true guts to slander this victory in any way. It's first win in oh almost boy. four years. What's coming? Well, it just wasn't a, a stacked field by any means, oh. and and like there's there's the various the very natural thought process here is like, oh, Jordan Spieth has played well at Augusta. He just won. He's going to play well at Augusta. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yes, I actually think he will play well this week, but that does not mean he'll win. It does not mean he needs to be the favorite. He, he, in my mind, is not the favorite. Right. Jordan Spieth playing well at the Valero Texas Open does not mean that Dustin Johnson isn't playing this week. It doesn't take these guys out of the field. Mm -hmm. You beat Charlie Hoffman and Matt Wallace. Okay, now you get to go up against Rom. DJ, JT, three dudes that have have all won within the last six months, three dudes that are really, really good at this course. Speed, like, welcome to the show, but he's not the favorite. He should not be the favorite. His history at Augusta means that he, we expect him to be in the conversation. Yeah. I would say at this point, it would now be more surprising for him to finish outside of, like, you know, the top 10 than to finish inside the top 10. I mean, I don't know what the... That's probably right around the borderline. the fellas in, in Vegas would say about that, but... It's probably even juice for... For a, a top, a top 10. 10. Um, or, you know, maybe he's just slightly favored to finish outside. But anyway, that's sort of like the, the dividing line in my mind. I now expect him to play well, where before it seemed like, you know, he could play well. He could always play well. He could find yeah. that Augusta Juju driving, whatever it is that driving down Magnolia Lane does to him and yeah. Phil Mickelson and a couple other guys. 
I sometimes believe in that and I sometimes don't. Well, <laughs> yes, because look, like as we get smarter about uh, analyzing sports and golf and, and some of like the tropes of yesteryear about, um, you know, players playing well due to voodoo and, and yeah. certain things like that, like generally it's just not true. But with Jordan Spieth at Augusta National, it seems like there's more to it. There's also like not a huge sample size. It's a significant sample size, but not a huge sample size. How many Masters has he played in? Six? Six. Seven? Yeah, maybe seven. Like that's yeah. that's enough. But like he's he's contended probably truly like three times. Yeah. Um, so anyways. Four times. It doesn't change the fact that Dustin Johnson shot 20 under here five months ago. He's not going to this week. Right? No, no, he won't shoot 20 under. Like if, if, if you have 20 under on a super soft Augusta national and everyone's promising you that it's firm and fast, I think 12 under would be a great score. Like really good score, mm-hmm. man. I'm so torn on this. I, because whenever, you know, we start talking about it being firm and fast, I have these visions of balls rolling off of greens about, just this place becoming torturous. The par four is getting really, really difficult. Yeah. But then I can't get out of my mind the idea that these guys are going to be hitting short irons into 13 and 15. Yep. They're going to be, you know, hitting mid irons into number two. But they're all going to be getting to number eight in two shots. But they're also all Americans, so, or a lot of them are Americans. So they just only play the ball through the air. Yeah. And so they have these moments where they leave their iron short on 15 and it rolls back into the water. Mm. There's enough traps, booby traps out here at Augusta National. Um, all right. Do I have any other speed? Yes. One thing I mentioned last week is like, who else is peaking right now? And I mentioned this in Tour Confidential too. Spieth feels, we've said he's he shouldn't be the favorite, but he feels like the most dangerous player. Like he, like he got the juju back. He feels incredibly dangerous right now yeah. in the way that no one else is probably more confident tonight in their golf game on the PGA Tour than I think Spieth has a right to be. And so I was wondering... Does it feel like DJ is peaking? No, he's not peaking right now. J- John Rahm is not peaking right now. Rory sure as hell is not peaking right now. Justin Thomas won the players, but that sneaky feels like a month ago, even if it's only a couple weeks. <laughs> yeah, and he flamed out at the at, at the match play. At, at the match play. And so who else is peaking? Is there anyone that feels more dangerous than Spieth? Well... My instinct is no, and the reason for that is because I think a lot of people were already excited to be on Spieth as not an underdog, but like uh, he was like a trendy guy that hadn't really won. But well, because everyone, everyone kind of wants like to sleeping. believe in him, everyone yeah. thought that he was a sleeper pick, even though he he then by definition was not a sleeper pick, and by the you know virtue of being Jordan Spieth, he's not a sleeper pick. But everyone was ready to be on him as someone that hadn't won and was saving it for the Masters. And now everyone is even more on him because he's coming in in form. I think Justin Thomas has a, a pretty strong case to be made. Um, you and know what's going to happen on Thursday, though? What's that? Corey Connors will shoot like 65. Yeah, he's he's Paul in good Casey form. will shoot like 67. Both of those and guys would and be, be strong picks for your top 10 this week. And it'll say. feel weird though because we'll be like, well, what? Why didn't? Why isn't Jordan leading? And it's like, yeah. like this is a four round event. Bryson DeChambeau 
has been far and away the best player on the PGA Tour this season. Mm -hmm. And I think it's pretty easy to forget that because uh, he is not such a novelty anymore. And because we haven't seen a ton of him and because he lost to Antoine What's-His-Face in the (laughs) WGC match play. Um, But Rosner? Yeah, nice. That was his name? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I was just thinking of the... He sounded to me like someone that played, uh, that went to that other French school in in Harry Potter. And mm. They had the Triwizard Tournament against them. That's what that's what that's where that brought me. Yeah, you lost me a little bit. Uh, yeah, I think when Bryson does what he does, has enough success, you kind of expect him to bag a couple of victories now. And so his win at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. The win wasn't as cool as what he did on the sixth hole. Like it was, mm-hmm. and then. You, you know, he won in the fall uh, at winged foot. So those are his two victories this year. Yeah. They feel like they were far apart in between. He kind of had a little bit of lulls in between. He kind of had, kind, yeah. of, kind of got beat so, by a, a weak player at the match play. So like, is yeah. Bryson peaking? No. It doesn't feel that way. All right. So, but all right, big picture to your point. I think the last few times we've had, you know, at least the last couple masters we've had in April, there have been a ton of people peaking. There's been this culmination of like, oh, you know, John Rahm's coming off a win. Tiger Woods is looking better. Patrick Cantlay is shaping into form. Rory, Xander, JT. It's like you can make a strong case for everyone. And right now, everyone feels like damaged goods a little bit. Yeah. You're talking about how you are picking Xander to win. Yes. That dude's been, been broken lately. He's been broken. He's also sneaky been a top three player on the PGA tour. When you look at the entirety of this PGA tour season, it's true. So that's kind of why I keep asking that question. Who is peaking? And it doesn't matter. But another question I wrote down here is that someone will shoot 68 on Thursday. Mm. Who's going to shoot 68 on Thursday. If you had to put all your money on one person in the world to shoot 68 on Thursday, Oh, who is so it gonna not be? like a sleeper, but just who is the most likely person? Yeah, to, to who's going to start out the Masters crown. and start to like take the crown from day one? Xander Shoffley. This is my guy. I feel I'm pushing all my <laughs> chips in on on the Xander Shoffley train this week because Why? he's flying under the radar and he just does everything well. He's a he controls his golf ball pretty well. I think. Um, iron play is going to be huge this week. I mean, there's some guys that, uh, are probably pretty good picks to do well. Like Colin Morikawa should have a good week, uh, just on the basis of him being a, yeah, a but he was player, supposed to even have a good week at swords. Sawgrass. Sure. Sure. And, uh, you know, a gentleman that I just saw in the supermarket, Will Zalatoris, I would expect him to play pretty well. I love your Corey Connors drop there, even though you're sort of saying it as a, a casual name drop, he's someone that I would think would be in the mix but i don't know do you have someone that you expect a, a first round t2 68 out of i think john rom i think he's just he told people literally don't bet on me new daddy new father like all the storylines come together sergio won shortly after having or no right before having his first child but all these things kind of come together and rom has only been trending upward at this golf course Yes. That's all he's ever done is get better and better and better at Augusta National. He works the ball both ways. He bombs it off the tee. Great irons player. Ridiculous with his short game and a super streaky great putter. 
he has to win a green jacket at some point in his life. They're like the the few people on tour that you think like have to get it done. I'm not convinced that JT has to win a Masters at some point in his life. Interesting. He is very like incredible, but it, it's it hasn't happened for Rory. John Rahm feels like even more of like a guarantee than uh, than JT does to me. So I would I would be backing Rahm, but um, one major killer that is here that I didn't expect to be here is Brooks Kepka. We somehow haven't even gotten to Brooks yet. We haven't even mentioned him. Well, it was talking about damaged goods. Yeah, it's literally is he's a hard guy to predict right now. You thought he was back when he won in Phoenix, and then he goes and dislocates his knee, gets engaged, gets engaged, dislocates right his knee, the other. has surgery, and but now that he had surgery and like kind of had these eerie social media posts, now all of a sudden he's like, yeah, I was hitting balls one week after surgery. Yeah. So, where's his game gonna be? Is it some little derivative of what he did when he won at the Waste Management? That'd be pretty awesome. Like I would sign up for that in an instant. Could he go and shoot 68? That Could he be the guy that does it on Thursday? 100%. It just feels rushed, man. Like, this guy, I feel bad for him because he couldn't play the Masters in 2018, and he kind of played injured in 2020. He almost won it in 2019. So he's looking at this as another major championship season that has this gigantic dagger sticking in it. Am I going to show up to Augusta National and play with a limp? Or am I going to pass up on it again? I'm not going to pass up on it again. Right. I feel I'm on the prime of my career. So you can't blame him. But would I be shocked if I saw the guy like on the ground on 13 after like hitting one from the pine straw? No, I wouldn't be yeah. at some point this week. We've seen in the last year that Brooks Kepka is not necessarily one of those players that uh, plays well when he's not feeling good. Yeah. When he's a little bit off physically, he doesn't necessarily have like the the scrappy sort of game. Yeah, like at Torrey Pines. Yeah. Wasn't hitting it well. Felt like he kind of tweaked his knee a little bit. All of a sudden, he misses the cut. But then a week later, he wins. Yeah. The guy's a specimen, you know? <laughs> it's stupid. He's a racehorse. He's got to be feeling good to play his best. I mean, he himself is is a little bit playing both sides of this. On the On the one hand, he's... You know, he's got these Instagram stories that, that are him rolling up to Augusta in like bubble wrap or whatever it is. And then the other side, he's like, oh. That's what jocks do, right? Yeah. They put these expectations on themselves. They put barriers in their way just so they can jump over them. This is peak Tiger Woods, short of the Instagram posts. But Tiger put barriers in front of him mm-hmm. that he could leap over. I don't know if Brooks is peak Tiger Woods. <laughs> he's definitely not. He's so. a major killer. I mean, if you if you had to say over under fifteenth uh, place for Brooks Kepka this week, what I would, would you say take? under. I just I don't I don't think you can have that injury. Mm-hmm. It affects part of your game, and so it'll affect it'll affect three or four golf shots that happen to him this week. So he's going to make two hundred and eighty golf shots. Three or four of them could turn into trouble. It really could. Like it it doesn't take much out here. So I would say worse than fifteenth. Is it time to bring in James Colgan? No, we got to talk about Bryson. Oh, we're bringing. We got to finish Bryson. Bryson, yeah, yeah. Talk to us. He said he has a new driver in the bag. Yeah, a driver that is on the conforming list as of Monday morning. Allegedly, we don't know if it'll be on the list. He says it's going to be. It's Sunday night. We'll find out tomorrow morning. He's thrilled about it. He he sounds confident in a way that he hasn't 
always been confident. Is, it, is there anyone that loves a tease more than Bryson, first of all? <laughs> no, and especially a corporate tease. But he he didn't feel or look or do everything super comfortable five months ago when he was the favorite at the November Masters. Mm-hmm. I think that is appropriate hindsight. Uh, he even mentioned it to us today that he's more comfortable now kind of with the hoopla and the headlines and everything that comes around what happens when you win a major like he did at winged foot. He has not necessarily regrets, but he think he kind of made maybe a mistake or two last year at the masters. You still have to have great ball striking and iron play. And I'm a very good putter. I think that's uh, overlooked quite a bit. And when I get the ball rolling, you know, it's, it's watch out for, for, uh, for the field. And, and, and again, you know, you combine the most important stats, I think personally, which is putting it well and driving it well. And you're going to be in the contention no matter what golf course you're at, uh, for the most part, you know. Soft hit your irons pretty well, and that's something that, uh, you know, when I came out on tour, that was my best attribute. Gosh, he sounds really confident, and it, it sounds like everything. For someone who likes to tinker, it sounds like everything's dialed. And I don't really like to take tour players, all of them, at their word. But there, there seems like no cracks in his shield right now. Yeah. I would be shocked if Bryson DeChambeau is not a contender at this Masters. Yeah. And I don't mean that in a way that he's definitely going to win or anything like that, but it seems like something would have to really fundamentally go wrong for him to even finish as far down as he did in the fall, which was, you know, T30 or yeah. something. I, I know he hasn't putted well at Augusta, but if it's going to be firm and fast like we're hearing – it's going to be a lot of wedge shots for him. He's going to be two putting for a bunch of birdies. He's yep. going to be, you know, just plodding his way through some it's of these It's a different type of golf. Like It just plays right into his hands. Yeah. And the guy has already been, like I was saying, he's been the best player on the PGA Tour this year, full stop. Better yep. than Dustin Johnson. Mm-hmm. Better than Justin Thomas. Better than, you know, it's whoever else you might want to pick the guy almost won at the players yeah so i mean don't sleep on Bryson DeChambeau. he's gonna be there he'll be there at the end whether he's winning or not it's gonna be a good week for him even if he hits some tee shots out of play even if people were trying to meme him to death on thursday if he hits one yeah. of the bushes if i had to guess if i was really truly in his corner i would want his masters to start on the first tee instead of number 10 yeah, and that's he's going to have the option. He's going to do that. Like they, they're not going to do split tees at the Spring Masters. Yeah. They only did it at the Fall Masters. So he started on ten, and I think he made a birdie on ten, or he had a good look at birdie. Excuse mm-hmm. me, and then he overcooked a, what is probably one of the toughest tee shots on the entire course on eleven into trouble. Then he overcooked it on thirteen, and it just it felt like he had to go. And when he tried to go, he went too fast. The, the front nine is just a lot easier to get your groove into. Yeah, It's hit, more big full swings with a little more room to miss. And... Big full swing, tons of room on one. Big full swing, tons of room on two. Big full swing, easy hole on three. And then like four or five are tough. But you can really get into a groove. And if you just shoot two under on the front nine, that's a great front nine. Then you can attack on the back nine as you've gotten into your round. So... I don't know. I'm not going to disagree yeah. with you. <laughs> the only thing that 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 was um, that I think could be a potential pitfall is this mentality that he brought into 
last fall where he was talking about it being a par 67. Yeah. And this, I know that, that it, it is, but it is people ran with that and, and it became a headline and whatever, but there was definitely a sense that, um, maybe Bryson wasn't giving some of these shots the proper respect. He definitely seems like he has backed off of that a little bit. Yeah. You know, what's funny is we asked him about it tonight we're like Bryson. Okay, is it still a par 67? He said no, no. Like, oh no, I'm not this year. This this year, it's a little, you know. That obviously people took that the wrong way, and it wasn't, you know, what I was intending it for it to be. Um, but no, I mean, it's definitely a par 72, and I'm just gonna go try and shoot the best score I can, like always. Um, you know, obviously there are holes out there that are shorter than others, but you know, it's still you gotta get the ball in the hole. That, you know, yeah. That that kind of got blown up a little bit. But it still is. <laughs> like, if I think if yeah. you gave him a truth serum, he would say, "Well, it's maybe like a par sixty-eight now, or sixty-eight and a half." Like yeah. that's that the scoring average is sixty-eight and a half. Kind of checks out if you look at you know the way those par fives are yeah. going to play for him. And so, like, he told us that it's now a par seventy-two in his mind, and people will probably run with that. Yeah. So it is what it is. He, if he plays his best golf, he will make a sixty-five maybe 67 looks super easy. Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of what he does. It's what he did to Wingfoot. So let's move on from Bryson um, to someone who's just as big, at least height-wise, James Colgan. <laughs> we need to hear all of our, our baby, our green, the green man here on the green property, his thoughts on Augusta National. Syracuse graduate from the broadcast school of journalism, whatever you guys call it up there. Jimmy Colgan, 23 years old, six foot 11. Yeah, he's already the best voice on this podcast. <laughs> a young Joe Buck, some have said. All right, let him talk now. <laughs> all right, that's all I wanted. Thank you. Everything that Dylan just said is correct, with the exception of my height. I'm only 6'3", but I appreciate that sentiment. It, it would be nice to be 6'11". <laughs> what did you like about Augusta? What did you? What surprised you? For the people at home who will never go, or the people who have never gone, so I, don't talk about the elevation. <laughs> I think the first thing that that anyone who is listening that's never been to Augusta should think is that it is quite literally as it is promised yeah. on television. Yeah, it's hard to understand. It's annoyingly that. pristine. Yeah, it's almost hard to understand that until you're standing there walking around the grounds <laughs> but it is legitimately what is promised my favorite my favorite first time like first thought first reaction to the place was just that there is such a clear-cut difference between the ground like the green stops like literally the grass stops and it's then it's this the pine straw and there's no pine straw on the grass and there's no grass on the pine mm. straw there are borders and there are there are pine cones that have to exist because there's pine trees everywhere but there are no pine cones on the ground there are if, no pine cones because yeah. if they fall then they get picked up by the grounds <laughs> crew there's not i know it's a cliche phrase but there's not a blade of grass out of place and it's annoyingly pristine yeah that's really good i like what you did there you got really specific and i was just going to challenge James to also get extremely specific when you talk about it being pristine like what is that experience like of walking onto the grounds what do you feel like you're walking on artwork feel like yeah 
Okay, so I have the perfect uh, anecdote for exactly what it's like. You do say I so was, yourself. I was wandering. I was wandering around. James's head outskirts exactly of, two Bud Lights. <laughs> I was wandering around the outskirts of the Augusta National grounds on Saturday morning because I uh, had a bit of a mix-up with my car, <laughs> and so I was wandering mostly alone around sort of the sidewalk outside of the gates which is still kept in immaculate condition mm. and i happened to come upon this young augusta national worker as i was walking my way down the road and he was walking around outside of the grounds this is probably about a good half mile away from the golf course yeah he was walking around carrying say. a bucket and a garbage uh grabber yep but he wasn't picking up garbage no. <laughs> with this contraption. He was picking up sticks yep. that had wound up <laughs> on the perfect grass that was sitting next to me. I couldn't believe it. I legitimately looked at him like he had three heads as we were walking around. <laughs> yeah. It is that level of detail and attention to detail that exists on every single inch of the golf course. Every inch. And even more so around the greens. Am I the only the one annoyed by that? <laughs> It, I mean, it's it's annoying, but also it's also isn't, amazing. Isn't it sort of like enlivening to 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 see that and yeah. to know like this isn't just what it is on television. This yeah. isn't just some made up commercialized thing. Yeah, it legitimately is perfect in that sense. I will say that there's something, you know, and my my first reaction in general, I would say entering the golf media space is to be like repelled by Augusta national just same, you know, because of some of the things that is represented, I will say this year in particular and, and, you know, in November also, but in a, a world that's been defined by like zoom calls and sweatpants and, and sort of just sacrificing different versions of reality for, you know, like making the most of this whole new pandemic world, there is something to be said for Augusta National, you know, dressing up. Still like, trotting it all out yeah, the same way. Putting on its nice clothes for dinner, so to speak. Going over the top with how perfect it is and Being its presentation extra. to like produce a a an incredible over the top real life experience. Yeah. You know, I can't imagine you know, as Sean will tell you, I'm not always a, a nuts and bolts guy. So I can't really relate to organizing the the people and motivating them to pick up the pine cones outside the gates. That's not something I can relate to. But, you know, there's something about creating that world right now and creating that ridiculous in-person experience that is pretty refreshing. I kind of sympathize with the guy who's got to pick up the sticks outside the gate it's like you know at some point or another all these volunteers come in and they've got one manager or maybe multiple who are like all right guys we literally mean every stick and every pine cone and he's probably like sweet i'll check the bunkers on 17 you know i'll be walking around the, you know the shore of the pond on 15 i'll pick up sticks and get out of the way he's like no you're you're on berkman's place and you're getting yeah. sticks up, out a half a mile like you it's said a, is not it's wrong. also one of those just like futile exercises right it's like shoveling against the tide or like i I worked at a golf course in florida and i remember i was uh you know i don't know if i was being disciplined or what but for some reason my manager 
was like, all right, Dylan, I want you to go uh, get all the all the broken tees off of the range. Oh, man. I was like, oh, Which is just all the tees. What now? <laughs> because there is no start nor end to that job. <laughs> no, no. There will always be more broken tees you know, somewhere on ground. a massive driving range, there will always be more sticks on the ground in a yeah. however many hundred acre piece of property. That's a tough scene for you. I oh. think it's also sort of interesting, like just how commercialized it looks or not, not even commercialized, but just how efficient it all is. Yeah. When you watch the, the crew working on the grounds, it's unbelievable how quickly things get fixed. I was watching, there was, obviously a playoff at the end of the women's amateur on Saturday. And I was walking down the 18th down from the 18th green to the 18th fairway because I wanted to see the tee shots for the playoff. And as I was walking down, it was like the freaking CIA came running out of the side. It was the Augusta national grounds crew with, there were probably about two dozen of them with two dozen rakes that were just going to oh, wow. all of the bunkers in the fairway and the green and getting to it in the time it took the two women in the playoff to walk from the clubhouse to the 18th tee. Wow. And they got to everything. That's that crazy. <laughs> so it, there is something to be said for the efficiency of it yeah. as well. Like not just how good it all looks, but the expediency to which they yeah. repair something from what is maybe mildly imperfect yeah. back to that to condition. Perfect. It is really incredible. I think that's one thought for the viewers who, if you come to the the Masters, doesn't matter if it's, you know, Saturday afternoon or if it's Tuesday and you only have practice round tickets, you got to stay until they kick you out. <laughs> like, you know, maybe you have dinner reservations somewhere, but stay until 6 p.m. and watch the grounds crew come in and kind of sweep everything up because they have the lawnmowers and it's like a lawnmower brigade just going up and down the fairway together in sequence. It's, it's something they kind of make the grounds crew at like baseball stadiums look like minor leaguers, you know, to, to keep the baseball analogy going because these dudes, like you said, they're perfectly in sequence. They know exactly what they need to do. And the baseball dudes who like trip over the tarp look like idiots by comparison. Suffice it to say, I have literally never done anything in my life to the level (laughs) of detail to which Every single thing at Augusta National is done. Yeah. I was scared I was gonna like trip over my own two feet into into like a sand trap or something. Yeah. As I'm watching like 15 men move in perfect yeah. uh, synchronization with each other. It to, makes you to, feel kind of you know. guilty to walk in certain places. Oh, a hundred percent. I like I I didn't want to go anywhere near the green jackets that were that were <laughs> dotting the 18th green. Yeah, that's like, fair too. Uh, all right, so you walked around the property a little bit. James, you guys might recognize his voice because he does like all of our voiceover content and he's quite good. Um, But one of those things he's been doing is voicing over the words uh, that we reported on from 18 major champions. So James has been taking Tom Watson's description of the first hole and Dustin Johnson's description of the 15th hole, voicing them over for our videos on our social feeds. And so James, you have by proxy become a bit uh, knowledgeable about these these holes which hole did you see that kind of like wowed you a little bit or like stood out to you like oh that doesn't I don't I didn't remember or I didn't believe 10 to be that ridiculously downhill or like what hole was super surprising well broadly the front nine was was, was 
kind of shocking. The to elevation me. here it comes. Well, no, not even not even for the <laughs> elevation. Although I was stunned by that, I'll admit. Oh my god! I, it was more that it's it's the unheralded nine on the golf course. Yeah. But you walk the fourth hole as a perfect example. It's, yes. It's a par three. You know, you maybe see it on television a couple times a year. Yeah. But you walk that that hole That's and a you beefy golf hole. and you look at it and you're like not only is this hole incredibly difficult and like incredibly dramatic yeah but also this would be like one of if not the most beautiful hole on <laughs> yeah. any other golf course that yeah. that that you walk on mm-hmm. and this is a hole that's forgotten about during the masters it really is and i'm trying to think of a hole that is more forgotten about than the fourth hole you got any answers at Augusta. Yeah. Because guys guys on Sunday will nearly hole out iron shots on seven, on six. Uh, five has now wrote, like risen in its hype because it's like the toughest yeah. hole. And three is a hole that you can drive now. Two is the par five. One yep. is the starting hole. Four has to be the most forgotten hole at Augusta. I think so. But I think that... That's partly because it's early in the round. Two, there's two holes that, based on their position, you'd think people would know better than they do, and they really don't. I mean, you know, even I've I know them from walking them and and seeing them a bunch of times. But fourteen and seventeen, yeah, both get forgotten about. Too. Both get forgotten about. They're essentially, I would say, in the well, average they're, golf they're fan, also kind of mind, the same hole. Just they're just featureless <laughs> par fours. Yeah. They're and also they're they go in the same dr- direction. They're surrounded by dramatic par threes and fives. You know, you know the tenth hole because it's the sledding hill. You know the eighteenth hole; it's the tee shot up the chute. It's where the tournament concludes. You know twelve. You know thirteen. You know fifteen. You know sixteen, fourteen, and seventeen. Not so much. They're the same hole basically. They both go uphill. So when you're there on property, you kind of have to get your ass kicked to walk up them. And then the holes that immediately follow them are far more important. 18th hole, overrated, but we'll that's not even a new take, though. For... All right, it's not. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> a lot of people wish that that hole being the final hole of the Masters meant more, and it means well, it means everything. But the 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 second shot isn't really as cool as it could be. People would love to see the second shot at the Masters on the final hole be a little bit, just a little bit more exciting, but well, it's all about positioning. But don't you think some of that has to do with with just the length off the tee that, that these guys have now? Because yeah. watching the women's am, the women's play, uh, the women's That's a tough play hole for sa- them, yeah. Saturday, everyone was hitting five or six iron into that green. And let me tell you, that makes that hole a lot harder when yep. you're not, you know, pulling That's pitching true. wedge or, or you know, nine iron to to fire at a pin in the center of the green. Like yeah. it was playing really tough. I I enjoyed this Augusta National Women's Amateur more than last year's. Whoa. Yeah, I know. And like Jennifer Cupcho, Maria Fossi, that was it had to be the most perfect beginning to that really really important event in the game of golf having two the probably the two best players in the field duel from start to finish through the champions retreat rounds through the augusta round like that's how you kick off this event but it was just those two and that match actually kind of got dull in the last couple holes when fossey dropped back 
this year, the girls, for lack of a better term, were freaking out. Like they were all backing up and you could see the nerves that freak grown men out seeping down into freaking junior women out. And that is exactly why they created this event is to have women hit the same shots as men or similar shots and deal with the same things at the pinnacle of the game. That's why I loved it more. We had a six person tie with like four holes to play for first place. And it like the nerves were so ridiculous that it became just a two person tie. You had everybody back up from that plus one position. I was like, completely locked in and I didn't even know who I was cheering for. I didn't really know these women even all that well, but it was madness. It was beautiful madness. So yeah. It was great. What did you it. see when you were out there during that, like during the women's event? Well, something that was great is obviously the, the leaderboards at Augusta national, there are no cell phones out on the course and the leaderboards yeah. are updated manually. And so as you're sitting sort of in the heart of Amen Corner, as the final groups are coming through, you're watching this leaderboard change with every passing hole. And because so many of the players in the final groups either found Ray's Creek or lost a ball or just made a brutal bogey for whatever reason, there was so much leaderboard change yeah. happening in the span of about 10 minutes. So I was trying to figure out you know, what was going on and get, you know, get a look, a, a piece of everyone that was in contention. And all of a sudden, once the leaders were done with 13, I had to start running back towards 18 because suddenly some yeah. of the women that were coming up the, the closing stretch had jumped into the lead in the tournament. So that, and they had never been in contention at any point. That's so, what the Masters is like. That's the thing. That is what I'm trying to get to is like we got a perfect little taste on the back nine from the best female amateurs in the world of what a peak masters is like. Go back and watch the 2011 masters and they did that, but it was the best play, the best golfers on the planet. Like it was Adam Scott and Jason Day and these guys freaking out and those guys can hit all the shots. I, I, I was just, I, I couldn't help but think, holy cow, if you just add in Jim Nance here, this feels like the masters, but yeah. for women, and, it, and <laughs> that's it what sounds, they want that to be, that to be, you know, and, and it sounds the same. Yeah. And the shots, you know, the clubs are different, but the shots look very much the same. It's yeah. players, you know, maybe pulling a club on an in-between number, trying to clear raise Creek and reach oh the my green gosh. When you turn, well, when you turn 15 for them into a driver three wood hole, that green becomes so oh, damn hard yeah. to hold, but ultimate, like, there was uh, the Swedish player that was in the final pairing. Uh, she hit driver three wood onto the front edge of 15, but then proved just how hard of a two putt that is to that back pin. And like, that's exactly what happens in the masters every freaking year. It was a great showcase of the execution that's required too, because like Rojang was in contention all weekend. Oh, and she that was played, hard to watch. She played so well up until that 13th hole, oh. but what was so impressive to me watching her was she was driving the ball really well. Her iron play was tremendous, and she was rolling putts really well. She hit 15-footer on four. Mm -hmm. She was, you know, made a couple of really impressive par saves. At the, in the end, it was completely useless because on one hole, her yeah. execution fell, oh. and she made triple bogey eight. That's she said it afterwards it was the only triple bogey she could remember making. 
Wow. Sweet. So Talk that tells goals. you a little bit just just about the execution. That's, that's yeah. Or her abilities up. doesn't ever make triple bogeys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, super relatable. She should ask Jordan Spieth what it's like. Well, she knows, I guess, what it's like <laughs> to make one quad. Um, all right. Well, we have we've done fifty two minutes and we haven't talked about the women professionals, Dylan. The ANA inspiration. Uh, Lydia Ko almost shot eleven under. Woo. She could've. almost shot sixty one. She had to lay up on eighteen, or or I think if she had oh. found the fairway with her tee shot on eighteen, she would have shot that eleven under round. Probably. She's not like a super long player, so and that that hole just it kind of played long in a short way because of of how it's situated with the island green. But anyways, uh, it honestly. She could have shot 11 under and it didn't matter. Can Patty. I read you a quote from Lydia Ko afterwards? I really liked this. Let's she hear said, it. because first of all, I mean, you already know this, so this trivia question doesn't work anymore, but Lydia Ko, I believe, is still 23 years old, which pretty is young. crazy. She's younger than James. She's been in our professional <laughs> golf landscape for, uh, I don't know, what, like Forever. 20 years? Yeah. So here's what she said afterwards. There was a question about, like, do you feel like you're getting back to where you were, essentially? And she said, I was actually thinking in my head, I wonder if, like, on the coverage, they're going to be like, oh, Lydia Ko is back. I hope it's She's not the sense that. that I'm back to a position where I was or where I could be. To be honest, I just want to be the best version of myself right, right now. now. That, uh, I mean this in a great way. But that reeks of her golf coach. I'm sure that her, she's had that conversation with Sean Foley. And I mean that in a great way. That sounds exactly like a, a Sean Foley philosophy. He's very much a mental, like philosophical golf coach. And that makes it sound like he's the right coach for her. Honestly, yeah. right? Sure. And I, I think that it was just so interesting because we've seen Jordan Spieth. Uh, he wants to get back struggle with that same idea of like Jordan Spieth is not going to be the same guy, but at the same time, he's been looking at old swing videos. (laughs) He's like pursuing the same feelings and, and um, kind of vibes from when he was at his peak. It makes a lot of sense that Lydia is looking at this more as an evolution because that's a lot more natural also to expect to get back to the level that she was playing golf at. Yeah, it Yikes, was that's it was bonkers. Like it's just she was doing things that the women's game had really never seen that early on in her career. So kind of unfair, but it was very funny to see them both rise at basically the same time on the same day. And those two people were the best players in their sport in 2015, and they both went through very similar lulls and Co hasn't really well she hasn't like one another major out of it but she will i imagine soon and it didn't matter it didn't matter i mean it brought in some ways the uh the energy of this final round up yeah because it added some drama but patty patty my new favorite patty in the game tavitanikit is that how you say that last tavitanikit she was rock solid how (laughs) many bogeys did she make on sunday zero Zero bogeys, 15 pars, two birdies, and then one <laughs> eagle on the second hole, which really, you know, slammed the door, essentially. I know Lydia Code then did her thing and, and suddenly made things dramatic. But Four rounds time, in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Wire to wire, which just doesn't, I think, right? I think she went wire to wire. Yes. 
doesn't that doesn't happen much. That happens like with the best players when they're peaking. It usually doesn't happen with like someone who's kind of new onto the scene and playing in one of the first majors of her life. And she bombed the ball around this place. It was hot. The ball was flying in Southern California. Uh, she averaged over 320 yards <laughs> off the tee, Sean. This is the new women's game. It is. Right? It's, yeah. It's, you know, it's not, it's not Bryson. It's not an exact equivalent, but it's certainly uh, symptomatic of a power game that we've just learned is more efficient across yeah. professional levels. If you can yeah. hit it really far and you can hit it straight, that's going to be an advantage. That's just the way the game works. It will be very interesting to see how the women's game continues to set up golf courses. We had this enter the, you know, the, the dialogue, the discourse yes. a couple of weeks ago with uh, Beth Ann Nichols article, basically saying how, look, you want to get more people to watch the women's game. You need to make it more easily able to reach par fives and two. You need to kind of make it, uh, somewhat similar to the most exciting aspects of the men's game. Stop making certain parts more difficult for women. They're, the games are different still. You can probably win more on the LPGA Tour at this point by still just being super straight. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting when when we saw some of these low scores on Sunday and when Lydia Ko was 9 under through 12, I, Beth Ann Nichols was the first person that jumped into my head because... People have been writing a lot of things about the PGA Tour for for a long time, and I don't remember one single article leading to change mm. so quickly yeah. and in such a meaningful way as this article. And I'm not even sure I completely agree with the article. I yeah. mean, I'll, I'll throw that out there. I definitely agree with parts of it, which is that more strategic and, and challenging um, decisions are entertaining to watch. Uh, risk reward is really good, but I also would like to see some of the men hitting more mid irons. I mean, like James was talking about watching some of the women hit six irons into the 18th hole at Augusta. The men are not hitting six irons into 18 at Augusta. (laughs) They're hitting driver nine irons. So maybe that's the adjustment that needs to be made rather than. Sure. uh, You'd rather pull back some aspects of the men's game than necessarily really try to push forward some aspects of obviously there's reasons that that's difficult to, uh, to make happen, but big picture when you look at this as the first major championship of the year on either side. And then you see some of the names that ended up, you know, in contention. I mean, I think the women's game is really getting into a good spot right now. You've got, you know, the, the, the top guns like Se Young Kim and Jin Young Ko that have just been in the mix a lot recently. You've got these these American stars now, Nelly Korda and Danielle Kang, that seem like they keep getting into the mix. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got Inby Park, who's a and Shan Shan Fang, yes. one of the best quotes in the game. Both legends. Inby Park is you know this generation's goat, and keeps she scares me. Like it. Cause, cause she doesn't sound like she's quitting anytime soon. Like she should, she should scare and annoy the hell out of Nelly Corda. Cause like Inby Park's gonna steal some victories from you, that like your young early twenties prime. Sometimes that was just handed to women golfers of the past of her ilk, and now Inby Park's like out here still kind of like 
body bagging these girls <laughs> week to week. It's like, that's not fair. And then on top of all that, the fact that Lydia Ko is now, like she had a very solid 2020 after coming back. And the fact that she is still here and now trending towards star again. That's good yeah. stuff, man. She might be the most interesting figure of them all. Should I be a wet blanket again? I don't know if you must. I mean, she did shoot 70, 69, 71 through the first three rounds. Got crazy hot on Sunday. There's nothing wrong with 70, 69, 71, bro. I know, but in this event, you had to go lower than that. You really you, you really kind of did. But I'm all in on Lydia. She's She's got to be one of the most fun women to cover. Uh, all right, so before we close, James, real quick, we've gone over an hour now. Uh, you're going to Augusta National for the second time tomorrow. What are you doing there? Uh I think I got to see what on earth is going on with Brooks Kepka. Um, and yeah. I know that Patrick Cantley is also talking at some point tomorrow. Um, and so that has your ear. Well, well, you know, first time for everything. Um, but I, I do think that, that there's some serious chance for, for old Patty to contend this week. So Ooh. I'm interested to hear what he has to say, because that could be fortuitous or foreboding for us. Uh, looking forward. I will not be interested in what Patrick Cantley has to say. James, are you uh, are you investing any capital, metaphorical or otherwise, this week? And if you are, is there anyone that you know now your vast Augusta National experience has you favoring? All right, all I'll say, I'm not a, I'm not a gambler, but <laughs> if I were gam- if I if I could place any bet in the world right now, yeah. it would be on Jordan Spieth being in the top three mm. on Sunday afternoon on the 16th tee. That's oh. a very specific bet. We might have to reach out to our friends at the sports <laughs> books to dial that one in. If that's the case, God, sign me the hell up. It, just, it seems like it has to happen. It really does. And he has always had a flair for, for yeah. making things interesting in the interesting moments. Un- unfortunately, when it seems like it has to happen is often when it, doesn't happen. Sean, do you have any extremely specific prop bets you'd like to add into the fold there? Perhaps a front nine over under? <laughs> no. Corey Connors <laughs> is going to be your first round leader. With a round of? 68. Oh, nice. I like that. It's going to yeah, play like tough. Um, Xander Shoffley is your winner. Will Zalatoris finishes in the top 10. Thanks to the granola bars that James and I saw him purchasing at the organic supermarket All right, this well, afternoon. <laughs> that, that is at least 10 minutes more of us than you really counted on or needed. But that's it for the Drop Zone this week. For Dylan the Chair and for James Colgan, I am Sean Zock. We'll see you Sunday night.